This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad-free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon. Click on the ad-free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time, ad-free, over on Patreon. everyone. This is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one, the only Michael Musto. It's so nice to be had. What is going on? Listen, I'm wearing, I mean, this isn't planned out. I noticed this like an hour ago. I'm wearing an Andy Warhol inspired t-shirt. I mean, you know, I have to show my respects, right? Not planned out. Respects by wearing a bootleg shirt. By wearing a bootleg shirt, which I think was from H&M or Uniqlo or one of those back in the day. So fine with me. Yeah, I mean, Andy would have loved it. That's my excuse for everything in the wake of Andy's passing is Andy would have loved it. There right. were people at his memorial at St. Patrick's, which I, of course, was in attendance. There were club kids in the back of the church handing out invitations to a party. And they were like, well, Andy would have liked it. And I was like, he probably would have. You're like, that makes sense. So I guess that's just that you could use that for everything, right? What is going on? I mean, you are in New York. Like, I, I'm a New Yorker, even though I'm not there today. You know, there's not a day that I can remember, you know, when I first got to New York in the 90s that, you know, I didn't know of you, hear of you, tied to the Village Voice. Like, I know you're originally from there. Did you ever think of living anywhere else, like growing up in your youth? Did you ever want to leave New York? I couldn't because first of all, uh, I'm allergic to the sun and I'm also someone who doesn't drive. I've never learned how to drive. I don't have a license. If I rode my bike on the LA freeway, I would look like the 40 year old virgin, but much older actually. And I like New York. Like I feel comfortable here. It's easy. It's a grid. Like if you have to go to 14th street, you know that it's one block above 13th street. I do get in trouble with the name streets, even though I've lived here my whole life. But 
look, I've traveled the whole world. It's not like I'm some hermit who can't leave. I just know that this is where I belong as a permanent resident. Totally. I'm the same way. I have a license and I haven't driven in about 25 years and people are like, just drive. I'm like, there's 0% chance I would ever step behind the wheel of a car ever again in my life. It would be, it would not end well. So I it's totally- scary enough riding a bike, believe me, but uh, I have three bikes now. One of them is an e-bike. And so I'm just gliding through the city. This I- died, uh, New York has died more times than Glenn Close at the end of Fatal Attraction, but it always comes back and it's always going to be New York. We, all the aging hipsters, you know, are complaining. It lost its edge. It lost its edge. We got the edge back. Like there was a crime and everything came back. And then they're like, oh no, it's too edgy now. It's like, just shut up. It's New York, whatever it is, for better or worse. And I will stay here. Right. I mean, do you think that's the state of where we're in? Right. Like crime is back. And I mean, like, do you think now it's, you know, people are like, there are a lot of people I know that have left New York. I agree with you. I think New York is New York. It's always going to come back. Like, where do you think the state of New York is now? I mean, there were wussy people who didn't belong here in the first place. They left after 9-11. It's like, oh, so bad things only happen in New York. I wasn't going to leave my city because of that. Uh, Then with COVID lockdown, oh, it's horrible. It's disgusting. I'm leaving. Good riddance. Bye, Felicia. You did not belong here. Go back to Connecticut. Exactly. Like, the city is less crowded. I see nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Well, back in the day, like I said, you know, I first came to know of you, you know, back in the Village Voice, like what, you know, who didn't read the Village Voice? I mean, especially like a self-respecting, you know, young at that time, gay man. I remember your column, La Dolce Musto. So like, to me, you know, you really kind of gave a voice, in my opinion, to like so many people, like all of these club kids and people coming up like Peppermint. And, you know, you really kind of made these people, at least in print, like, you know, minor celebrities, as far as I'm concerned. And I think a lot of people would agree, you know, or just brought notoriety towards them. I mean, to me, that's like the definition of today's influencer. I mean, are you, can we attribute you as the uh, original influencer, Michael? Well, thank you, first of all. But yes, in a way, I was the original blogger because my column was like a blog. It really was a diary. It was La Dolce Musto. It was my life of that week in summary. And yeah, I was an influencer (laughs) and I had influenza. But no, no, I, yeah, the voice gave me freedom. They said, this is your space. And it became ultimately a full page plus a daily blog, La Daily Musto. So I was able to break personalities, break stories, celebrate the underdog. People, this is before Drag Race, you know, drag queens were working for very little money in sometimes risky situations. And I was celebrating them, trying to make celebrities out of them and treating them on the same level as a Hollywood movie star. Absolutely. Like, what do you think of where we are today with, you know, social media and influencers? And I mean, you know, everyone's putting their life out there. Like, what are your thoughts on all this? It's weird for me because now I used, I used, I used to compete with like a handful of columnists very a very finite group of journalists that were covering what I covered but now I'm competing with the entire world everyone on earth is a gossip columnist because you can put whatever you want on your Facebook you can take a picture with your cell phone you can post it on Instagram um, however that being said I think it's great I think everyone should have a voice and it only makes the professionals like me who get paid work even harder to be special and I think what people like about my stuff is my tone even with the whole world competing with me no one's going to have my point of view because I'm that cracked. Uh, but that's also what makes me special. You definitely have your own style and your own voice and your own tone. Like that, I would absolutely agree with. Do you think it's easier, you know, today because of all of this? You know, like you said, like I could see it twofold. Like there's so much competition. 
like you just said, or is it like everyone has access now? Like, do you think it's easier to get into like what you do or even like to be famous, putting it out there now? Is it like, is it a double-edged sword? It's harder to get into what I do because there's so much media because there didn't used to be websites. When I started, it was just, like I say, a finite number of print publications. Then it became sites and every print publication had a site. There's so much media that the celebrities and their publicists now have total control. They can sort of pick and choose who gets to meet their celebrities. I used to meet celebrities every night in the clubs and I was invited to interview everybody. Nowadays, if you're starting out and doing what I used to do, um, the best you will get is you can apply to be part of an online press conference for some movie you don't care about. And if you're approved, your question might get asked. And if it's answered, everyone on the press conference will get to use that information. There's no exclusive. It ain't pretty. It also, it also doesn't pay what it used to. It's one of the few professions that paid better in the 80s than it does now. That is true. I didn't think of it like that, but you're absolutely right. But I'm still at it. I mean, the Village Voice is still there. It came back as a, as a monthly and a website, and I've been in every issue since they came back. So I'm not doing La Dolce Musa per se. I'm doing more think pieces and researched articles, but uh, I'm still with the voice. It's like, it's in my DNA. I can't quit that place. Wow. Do you think the voice will go on forever? I do. It already has. It's been part of my whole life. My column started in 1984. And actually, I'd written for them before that. I'd written some freelance pieces. So it's been about 40 years that I've been at the Village Voice, and it doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon. Wow. It's been my home base. It's like Michael Musto from the Village Voice. So if I get asked to be on TV or to write for another publication, that's my identity. I'm Michael Musto from the Voice. I was always the weird gay guy, you know, openly gay, writing about gay things. Back when really a lot of people weren't writing about gay things. You couldn't pick up the New York Times and read about gay celebrities or trends. 100%, yes. I mean, did you ever, like, what was it like back then, like in the 80s and even the 90s, you know, being out? Like, did you ever think maybe I shouldn't be out? Like, did you ever grapple with that? No, because first of all, I could never pretend to be straight. It would not go over too well. How convincing would that be? Hi, everybody, I'm straight. Uh, secondly, especially in the 80s when AIDS started mounting as a huge epidemic, a plague that was taking lives left and right, uh, a lot of us were catapulted out of the closet even more. And I was sort of galvanized by the whole thing politically. In 87, I joined ACT UP and I went on all the rallies and actions. And that kind of politicized my column. I became more and more gay. Every syllable of my column became gay. There was no way I was ever going to go back. Do you think being gay helped your career? I mean, I know that's a shocking question to ask when you consider the 80s and 90s, but. There are things I lost out specifically because I was not just gay, but so gay. But when I look back, I'm like, yeah, but it was my identity. It gave me a niche. I was the gay guy from the Village Voice. Uh, I think it actually helped my career. And that's why I kept telling celebrities, come out, come out wherever you are. Just come out, come on, please people. I'm not yes. making you gay, just, I'm, I'm just saying you're gay. So why don't you say you're gay? And people say, oh, it's so obvious, poor George, blah, blah, blah. If it's so obvious, he can say it. And of course, everyone eventually said it. They're all out now. And this is a whole new world, like the new world of online and influencers. The, the world of out queer celebrities is a wonderful thing that I live to see because that's part of what I was fighting for. What did you miss out on because you were gay? 
oh, I was going to be in this big uh, ad campaign for Amaretto di Serrano, but there was an article in GQ that called me the Duchess of Downtown, and I wore a hoop dress. It didn't even look like a hoop dress. It looked like a clown suit. But I get in the interview, I talked about, oh, I'd love to be a 1930s starlet and come back. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, but I just felt comfortable with the interviewer. And um, I put that in my press kit when I turned it in and they reneged on putting me in the campaign. They said, oh no, this, the Italians that do this company are, are gonna be very upset to have you in the campaign. And wow. it was supposed to be a campaign celebrating underground, you know, offbeat, edgy talent. Wow. I learned a valuable lesson. What do you think, you know, like you mentioned, like you did have access, like you ran into all of these celebrities, then you would get these interviews. Like, what is it do you think about still our culture? Like, why are we just so obsessed with fame? Like, I think fame is one of the most addictive drugs out there. I talk about this all the time. Like, what do you think it is about celebrity and fame? Like, they're just humans. Well, yeah, but they're really extraordinary humans. I've met so many celebrities. Very few of them are kind of humdrum. They radiate something. They have some kind of charisma, charisma that they radiate, and uh, they really are better than the rest of us. <laughs> and they're more interesting. They really are, and we are. And fame is so available now to everyone that it's it's kind of it becomes addicting. Uh, let's face it, none of us were loved enough as kids. But if you could be validated by strangers, it's a great feeling. As someone who's written about celebrities, I get some modest celebrity fallout, people come up to me, oh my God, I love your work. I get wonderful messages. It really makes you feel good. I didn't get so much of that as a kid and to get it now makes me feel important. My worst fear in life is that I would be invisible or not noticed. I, we, all notice. we all want to be loved. We all want someone to say, love your hair, love your work, let's have lunch. I agree with all that. I mean, I think, you know, in a way besides, you know, fandom and like celebrity, like to me, it's like, I understand why celebrities just want to hang out with other celebrities, other than the fact that, you know, it must be annoying to hang out with fans all day. It's like, if you're just such an interesting person with such an interesting life, of course you want to be around someone that has just an interest. They, they, yeah, I, I agree. A lot of them do radiate something. Even going on Facebook for me is like an ego boost because everyone on Facebook, goes, oh, you're an icon, I love you. And if they don't say that, I just block them. The problem with that is once I leave the house, I'm like, wait, where did all those Facebook people go? Now I'm just completely anonymous again. Is that the case? Because, you know, to me, like you said, like you're Michael Musto from The Village Voice. You're also like Michael Musto, the guy with like certain glasses, riding his bike all over. I mean, I used to remember people were like, oh, my God, there he is going down the street. Like, do you get that in New York or no? That's really changed. Yeah, I get a lot of recognition, but it really depends on where you go. And I remember once I went to Fall Lauderdale and it happened to be spring break. I had so much, this was the height of when I was on VH1. And uh, I got so much like people chasing me. It was insane. It was almost dangerous and exciting. And then there are times when you're not hot, just like a real celebrity, you go through those fallow periods and you're like, wait, what happened? Nobody knows me anymore. And then you'll be surprised about someone recognize you. It's, it's, it's all silly, superficial, pathetic, but I'm honest about it. I am addicted to recognition for what I've done, not just random. You know, I've, if people say I like your work, that's meaningful because that means I did something that entertained them or informed them. I certainly would not picture a spring break as that was where you would be one of the most sought after, but I guess you're right. Like the VH1 culture, you were on there all the time and it was great and yeah. yeah. I mean, look, when I first came out and I went to gay bars, I was like, oh, the community is gonna welcome me so big. Hey, Michael, nothing. I was invisible. I don't have the looks. I had no personality. 
And that's when I determined I'm going to make something of myself to get noticed in this community. And I will do it by celebrating the community, but also criticizing the community when need be. Do you think all of this can continue? Like, where do we go from here? You know what I mean? Everyone's life is like people, you know, you go to cross, walk across the street. It's on your Instagram and TikTok. And we had Clubhouse for a minute during, you know, the pandemic. And I mean, can all this just continue? Or do you think there's going to be like a let's cut back at some point? It's going to continue. And speaking of Andy Warhol, he was right when he said everyone's going to be famous for 15 minutes. It literally is true. Except the Kardashians now is like 15 years. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of the Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. This summer, the world must answer one question. Why has no one made a popsicle that gets you high yet? That's right, it's summer, and it's time for you to get your hands on America's new favorite product, Danksicles. 20 milligrams of THC in two great flavors, the latest and greatest innovation from IndiCloud. Is IndiCloud the greatest company to come out of America? Maybe. But what we do know for sure is that IndiCloud is the best way to get dispensary-grade cannabis delivered directly to your door, 100% legally. Yes, they ship legally to all states. No medical card needed. Whether it's vapes as big as your head, flowers you won't find in your mom's garden, or, of course, popsicles that get you high as What are you waiting for? Go to indicloud.co slash spring24 and get discreet delivery on top-shelf THC products. Head over to indicloud.co slash spring24. That's co, not com, to snag 30% off your first order. Using Talkspace to me makes me feel like I have a mental health professional with me at all times. And I freaking love that. Talkspace offers both therapy and psychiatry. And being able to reach out to my provider at any time, anywhere, makes taking care of my mental health super easy. You guys know I'm never in one place for very long. And I'm so relaxed when I'm traveling and I'm away. And knowing that I need to talk with my therapist, all I have to do is send a message from wherever I am. Look, therapy isn't easy, right? And dealing with mental health head on, it's a challenge at times, but connecting with my therapist isn't and shouldn't be. You can sign up online for Talkspace and you get a personalized match with, with a provider that's right for you, typically in no more than 48 hours. How great is that? And they have thousands of licensed therapists with over 40 years experience in all specialties, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, trauma, anger management, and so on, relationship issues. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash velvet. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash velvet to get $100 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash velvet. But uh, I think it's only going to get bigger and bigger where everyone literally can be famous. My aunt in the nursing home is going to be famous for ordering a certain color jello or something. I don't know. Andy was right. Well, like you said, you know, there is so much competition, but you certainly have your own style. And I mean, you know, to me, I remember back, like when I used to read the voice and read your stuff, you know, and everything else that you did, you know, it was that like snarky realism. It was real. It was, you had your edge. 
do you ever get like, oh gosh, I was too, I said too much there. I was too harsh. I went too far. Does that ever happen? Yeah, because uh, I, I sort of was painting myself into a corner for a while because the column was so nasty for a while that publicists didn't want to deal with me. You know, they'll invite me to something, but they won't let me talk to their celebrities. And it was a weird position to be in. And I had to learn to kind of show my fan side, my fangirl thing. Because after all, I wouldn't be writing about celebrities if I didn't love them. And I learned increasingly through the years to reveal that side so that it became more balanced, not just pure snark. But if somebody did something stupid or homophobic, this was before you had Twitter where everybody could gang up and say, how dare you? So it was me and Michelangelo Signorelli is a gay writer who was a mentor of mine. He's still a friend of mine. We were felt sometimes like the only two people out there screaming in the wilderness and saying, how dare you? So it wasn't just random snark, it was usually aimed at something homophobic that had been said or done. Well, that's the thing. Now you have all these online people commenting and these keyboard warriors, you know, in a way, you know, that's where it is. Like in a way, you know, you were ahead of your time with all of that too. And just being real, like, you know, there was so much of the media that just never gets there. But I look back and I was a bit of a politically correct nightmare. One of the screaming, you know, nothing was ever right. And I see it now with these keyboard warriors where they're on such a fucking high horse. I'd love to kind of look in their closets and see how perfect they are as people because everything offends them. And they're looking for things to offend, to be offended by. I'm not even talking about cancel culture or whatever that is. Cancel culture is fine because it's holding people accountable. I'm talking about the mob on Twitter that, oh, that's offensive. Let's all gang up. They don't always think it through. I agree with all of that. They're looking for something. You're a glass half empty type of person. It's something, it's, that's a bigger issue. It's like, you need some therapy and that's okay, but you got to just recognize that, that something isn't going right. In- and I remember when internet started, it was all anonymous. No, you know, and everyone was so brave. And I thought, oh, when people have to use their names, they'll never come out with these nasty comments, but they do. Do you notice? It doesn't matter if you put if they put their real name or not. They're out there just like burning people at the stake. They are out there burning people at the stake. But in my experience, then they won't do it to your face. It's the same person that if they're across the street, they're going to run and say, oh, my God, you're Michael from the Village Voice. You're Michael from this. Can I have a picture? That's my experience. Exactly. I mean, I, I had posted something on Twitter, which is here's a list of every celebrity I ever met. And I had little descriptions of each one. And somebody wrote, oh, wow, a cisgender white male is going to tell us about the celebrities he met. And they left out that I'm gay and I'm openly gay and have been so since the 1970s. It was not easy to be openly gay in the 1970s as a writer for mainstream magazines. And, and also the celebrities I included were people like Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, wow. Laverne Cox, you know what I mean? People you would not get on most people's celebrity list. But this person decided to trash me as if I didn't have a right to tell my story because I wasn't a black transgender woman. I can't help having been born cisgender and white and male. That's who I am. My only choice as to my identity is to be out or not out. And I've always been out. And I think we should stop eating each other alive in the queer community like you don't have a right to tell your story. Of course, I know that other people are more discriminated against and I'm more privileged than a lot of other people in the community. But let's all boy each other up or girl each other up. Speaking of Twitter, how did you get kicked off Twitter? 
<laughs> well, one of the people I hate is Christy Nome. She's the governor of South Dakota. And she was putting out tweets like, I will go against everything in my power to go against Joe Biden's COVID regulations. And I was like, she's bragging about wanting her people to die, basically. And so I, I had to unblock her <laughs> to even put my comment. I had already blocked her. But then someone had like screenshot her thing and, and posted. So let me unblock her and put a comment. And like an idiot, I wrote, um, hey, everybody, come to South Dakota and die of COVID. Now, obviously that didn't literally mean everyone should come to South Dakota and die of COVID. I was commenting on her attitude about it. Uh, and immediately I got, uh, you are banned, that you cannot wish ill on other people. And I, I appealed it and said, but Christy knows the one who seems to be wishing ill, I'm just commenting on it. And they're like, no, you're gone for good. I don't know if Elon Musk will now want me back. I hope not, because that would mean he wants Trump back and I'd rather stay away for the benefit of mankind if Trump can't come back. Do you miss Twitter? I do, I liked it, because you could interact with celebrities. On Facebook, celebrities don't really do a lot of their own pages. And it's a lot of promotional stuff. On Twitter, it's much more political. And you could interact, you know, I can message Billy Eichner or Ben Stiller, they'll answer. You can have a conversation. Has anyone ever come up to you or now in like social media? I mean, I guess it's different, but like, has anyone ever come up to you, you know, that is a celebrity and just said like, you know, like Perez Hilton has that infamous story about like Jennifer Aniston ran after him in like the parking lot and said, you know, you're really mean to me. Has that ever happened to you? And someone's gotten in your face. I imagine it has. I've had horrifying things happen. I won't even get into them, but uh, generally they ask us because they want to be on good terms with the press. There was one time when Sarah Jessica came up to me and said, oh, I love you on the Gossip Show. You're the best. You're incredible. And I was like, wow, I was floating. And then George Whipple from the Gossip Show comes up and he goes, Sarah Jessica just told me I'm the best and she loves me on the Gossip Show. And I was like, oh, okay. It's starting to get less meaningful. But I remember Adam Gethel, who is Richard Rogers' grandson. His mother is Mary Rogers. He writes Broadway shows. He wrote Light, he wrote Light in the Piazza. And uh, he came up to me and he said, do you have something against me? Why, you're always trashing me. I was thinking, I just don't like your work. Like, is that something against you? Like, it's not a personal thing. I just don't like your work. But I just was like, oh, Pashaw, don't be silly. You felt good about the Sarah Jessica thing. I mean, I would be like, oh my God, thank you. Well, I see she, I find that people like her and Neil Patrick Harris who were child stars were groomed to be very charming they were taught to be very polite and uh, obsequious to the press. Neil, Neil Patrick's another one who's just delightful and charming and fun to talk to. Uh, and I think she was sincere. I think she just likes everything. Has anyone the opposite, since you don't want to give us war stories about when someone came up and confronted you harshly, did anyone ever come up to you where it was like a Sarah Jessica where you're like, oh my God, like, you know who I am, you know, since you are such a fan of celebrities and you were just shocked that they really knew detailed nuances of your work? Uh, Lydia Lunch just said to me, stop writing trash. I thought that was cute, actually. And then there was uh, Fiona Apple started screaming at me, why did you say I look like a Russian gymnast? And I was like, that was someone else in the Village Voice. I actually wrote something else bad about you. Whatever. The you know what? I'm so pathetic that just the fact that they know who I am is kind of exciting. And they read my stuff. Jason Bateman was cool once because I, I made fun of an award speech he gave when he won an Emmy. 
And uh, he said, oh, I didn't expect to win. And then he pulled out a list of names to thank that he obviously had prepared. So I made fun of that. And he came up to me and he said, you were totally right. You were right about what you wrote. And I was like, he read what I wrote and he even thinks I was right. Wow. That's, that's, a, nice. that's a good one. Do you, have you ever seen anyone like when you've just wanted to avoid them where you're like, oh God, you know, like I just say so many bad things about this person all the time where you're like, let me just cross the street. Let me go to the other side of this party. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes I'll enter a room like, hey, and then I'll be like, hey, everybody. And celebrity, uh, Jack A. Harry once saw me and she went like this. Susan Sarandon went like this. I have a great influence. And they went like that, what? Just in the sense that you've said things about like, that. Like, don't talk to me, get away. Yeah, Mark Rylance just glared at me like, don't you even think of coming near me? And I get it. And sometimes I have to go, what was it I wrote again? <laughs> it must've been bad, let me Google this. Do you, did you ever hear from people like a Perez Hilton and all those others? You know, I mean, they are, yeah. they, they, you are, you know, they, they're, they went into what they did because of you, whether they want to admit that or not. Oh, no, Perez is a friend, but he, from the beginning, gave me credit as having been a pioneer, and he, he gave me a lot of props, and uh, we're friends. I mean, he did a video for my roast, and he didn't say anything bad. He just raved about me. Uh, so he's cool. I, I wish he would go back to being a little more snarky. I've had him on this show many times. I mean, you guys have very similar careers in the sense that he too, you know, people came up to him and, you know, yeah. yeah he, he's, made it, he made it much bigger. But it's partly the timing. I mean, the 80s, you know, a writer about drag queens is not going to make it that big, but I did pretty well and I made money. I'm, I'm pretty proud of having just stuck to my guns of being an openly gay writer about drag queens before there was Drag Race. What do you think of like Drag Race? You know, I mean, look, it's won Emmys. I mean, you know, these girls go on now. Some of the queens make so much money. You know, it's a real career. Like, do you think Drag Race has really, you know, changed the game in a lot of senses for drag queens? It really does. I mean, there are now two types of drag queens, those who have been on Drag Race and those that want to get on Drag Race. Uh, if you've been on, you're suddenly playing arenas, you're playing nicer venues, you're getting more money, you have a manager. You're doing these group shows that Brandon Boss puts on around the country. Um, the local girls are the ones I have a lot of respect for because they're not on Drag Race. Some of them don't even really want to be on. They just want to do what they do and they work so hard. So, I mean, I love all kinds of drag queens, but I do appreciate that show for putting a spotlight on them and helping to up the game for them. I feel bad for the ones that year after year submit a reel. <laughs> they just can't seem to get it right. But it's not even because they're not good. <clears throat> it's just every season they have to pick a group that will go with each other. Right. We need like the funny one. We need like the runway Bitch. one. The one who's plus size. I mean, there is always a formula to how it ends up. I don't like when they're crying in the first episode. It's like, come on. You just got off the plane. <laughs> this is drag race. Like this is, you know, be thrilled that you're standing here, right? Oh, yeah. And I was on a logo show uh, for four seasons called Cocktails of Classics, which was Michael Urie hosting. And we would sit around and show movies and talk about them. movies like Valley of the Dolls and Mommy Dearest. Great classics. Uh, it was great. I used to watch I was like, it. I finally got a logo. After, you know, when logo started, I was like, I've been openly gay on TV. This is going to be for me. They didn't really use me. They would use me here and there. So I was so happy to be on an actual logo show. 
Right. You're like, wait a second. There's finally a network that I'm going to be more. And then the next thing you know, it's nothing. And it's VH1. And there you are with a bunch of college kids chasing after you. Well, you know, you, you talk about, we talked about you being out and like, you know, you said like, you know, boy George and outing, like you are very known for, you know, outing celebrities and talking about it. Take me through that thought process of, you know, out Rosie and Ellen and Jodie Foster and boy George of like, come out, come out wherever you are. Yeah. I mean, this was partly the result of AIDS and the fact that it was taking away so many lives and the government was doing nothing in the eighties. Reagan wouldn't even mention it. Uh, and we were galvanized to start screaming in the street, do something, do something, people pay attention. And part of it was telling famous icons, come out. I'm not making you gay. I'm just saying you're gay. I'm not saying you can't come out when you want. Just me saying that you're gay doesn't mean you came out yet, but do try to hurry it up. (laughs) Can you believe Thanksgiving is next week? And you know what that means? Then the holidays. Here's the problem I have with holiday shopping. I went on to lululemon.com the other day to buy my gifts for everyone. And I seriously was on this website for, I think, about an hour and a half. And I checked out and I bought not one thing for anyone else. And it's not that there wasn't anything for anyone else. It's that I bought everything for my damn self. It is literally my favorite brand. What I love about Lululemon is I love clothes that are so comfortable, but so stylish. There's there's joy in motion. Listen, their clothes move so well. And everyone I think always thinks of Lululemon for like working out and athleisure wear, which absolutely, but there's so much more. I got jackets there, pants, dress shirts. I just bought the cutest navigation down jacket. It's so comfy and it fits so well. Now I'm going to have to go back to Lululemon because literally I now have nothing for anyone else for the holidays. So for your holiday shopping, go to lululemon.com. You'll find everything you need for all the special someones in your life. Jackets, pants, shirts, so many great accessories. And again, the clothes are so freaking comfortable. That's lululemon.com. I love all the DMs you guys send me about how you love listening to this podcast with a bottle of wine. Well, listen, fellow wine lovers, I need to tell you guys about Firstly. If you're like me, you go to the wine store and you're like, it's such a hard decision to pick out wine. I don't really know anything about wine. And then you have to ask for help. And I don't know, I used to always get embarrassed, right? Because like, I'm trying to act all cool. Like I know everything about the world when I really don't. Firstly changes all that because you go to their website and you take their quiz they'd ask you like what type of wines you like do you like whites or reds what type of flavors do you like and at the end they recommend bottles for you then they deliver those bottles right to your front door you don't have to go anywhere and then as you drink the bottles you give them feedback so you'll tell them if you like a bottle or if you didn't like a bottle and then they will hone in even further on what you really love i have to tell you like all the wines they've shipped me there's not a single bottle that i haven't loved so you can sign up today and you'll get your first six bottles from First Leaf for only $39.95 plus free shipping. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash velvet rope. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F.com slash velvet rope to get your first six bottles for $39.95 plus free shipping. Tryfirstleaf.com slash velvet rope. Now who listening is telling me that they don't want six bottles of wine delivered to their front door for $39.95? It might hurt your career. Well, guess what? It hurt my career, but it also benefited my career, as I said. Uh, just do it. Just do it. And, and they did. You know, Nathan Lane, uh, people that we knew were gay, but we wanted them to say it. They started saying it. And Rosie, uh, Ellen came and then Rosie 
Uh, and Rosie wasn't happy at the time when I was outing her all the time. <laughs> but then we kind of buried the hatchet in Donald Trump and became friends and allies. And she gave a speech at my roast. This was a benefit for Cal and Lord Clinic. And she gave an incredible speech. She had been so depressed about Trump winning president, she hardly left the house at that point. But she came out and she said, well, Michael Musto, this fag had a problem with me being a dyke. <laughs> but then she said, but Michael, thank you for bringing me into the community. And as for Ellen DeGeneres, she was not upset about being called gay. She and Anne H were, were running around lesbian bars in New York making out. They were outing themselves. I was simply saying, hey, media, why are you saying they can't, best friends were holding hands at the volcano premiere? They're not best friends, they're girlfriends. And Anne Hayes even called and thanked me for an article I wrote about her. She put Ellen on the phone. So there was no acrimony there at all. I had the pleasure of having Anne Hayes on like just a few months before she passed. And it was just one of the best, like amazing. She yeah, well, then I turned, everyone turned on her when she broke up with Ellen. And I sort of was part of that and I felt bad. So I wrote an article for out.com, an open letter of apology to Anne Hage. And she had me on her podcast about forgiveness. She and this woman, Heather, do a podcast about forgiveness. And we worked yeah. It. I'm glad we worked it out. Wow. Did you ever think like, you know, and did you hear from critics of, you know, like that? Well, you know, everyone comes out at their own time and, you know, we all go through it. Like, did you, I imagine you got a ton of criticism. I mean, I've seen some criticism. Like, did you hear from, a, and did you hear from a lot of people directly like celebrities? Uh, not directly, but indirectly. But uh, Rosie is one of the few who said something to me like, you know, that I should stop writing about her personal life. But yeah, there was lots of criticism. You know, this is McCarthyism. They should, people should come out whenever they want. They didn't realize, first of all, we're talking about celebrities. Secondly, we're talking about celebrities leading queer lives. I'm just saying to say it on the record. And I did a cover story for Out Magazine uh, with Jodie Foster and Anderson Cooper on the cover. It was people holding masks of them. And it was called The Glass Closet. It was about celebrities who just lead open gay lives, but won't say it on the record. And of course, they both eventually did. So I think it made a difference. All that stuff made a big difference. I think the majority of people are out now in, the, in showbiz. You do? Yeah, I really do. I mean, a lot of them are non-binary or transgender, all kinds of queers. Uh, but I think you're in the minority now if you're still closeted. What about when, and do you think it's the same thing I guess you don't. You don't think it's the same thing when you have, like, I guess, a Jodie Foster who is living a clearly out life but won't say it. I guess you don't. You, it's that's it's not right because yeah, it's that's, not that's, the same to Middle America that still is like a Jodie Foster is not gay. Oh, they still think Liberace was straight. He never came out while he was alive. He kind of intimated something to me when I interviewed him. He he told me a joke about uh, a sex worker with a female with a big dick. And I felt that that was, someone had told him, oh, this guy who was interviewing you is a big queer. And I think he told me that joke as kind of a between us kind of girls kind of thing. But he never came out. He, he, even when he had AIDS, he said it was a watermelon diet. That's why he lost weight. Wow. We've come a long way. And you think everyone's almost out, but what about like, you know, you look at like a Queen Latifah, someone like that. I've written articles about her. I was like, come on, just, 
just stop this bullshit. You show up with your fiance, but you can't say it's your fiance and we can't report that it's your fiance. Just stop it. Stop making my life taboo and unspeakable. That's what you're doing to all of us. Yeah, I don't, right. the, I don't have the same fire I did back then. I don't even do it anymore, the outing, because that was very 90s and aughts. But I still get mad about someone like Latifah. Yeah, I've read a lot of your articles about it. And I, yeah, it's, it is, yeah, Let's it is. It. And of course, when she does it, she'll get a GLAAD award for her courage. That's what kills me. I've never got a GLAAD award. Right, <laughs> right all these she will probably get a glad award <laughs> was there ever anyone that's come out like who do you think is also is there anyone else like queen, queen Latifah that's like at the top of your mind where you're like just come out at this point missy missy elliott when i interviewed her she said i don't i don't talk about who i sleep with and i was like gee i wonder what that means <laughs> that usually doesn't mean that you're straight no, like you were told from her, her people, like, don't bring this up. Yeah, and I, I, I hate that whole thing. Oh, the hip-hop community is homophobic. A lot of people are homophobic. Why don't you elevate them? Why don't you educate them? Why don't you just be brave? Not everything is about career. See, I grew up in the 60s when career and money were considered corrupt and dirty. It was all idealistic, hippie stuff, peace and love and doing the right thing. People in suits were considered really horrible and almost criminal. So I kind of never got that out of my head. So I can never understand when people in our community make excuses for a celebrity, like, oh, but their career, they'll, they'll lose some money. It's like, so? Is that the be all and end all? Is it anything for money? It, you know, if they're openly racist and they make more money, is that okay with you? And you look at like a Missy who, A, you probably have, enough money and B, I mean, it's how much are you really going to lose in 2022? Who's really, I mean, you you might lose a tiny bit, but I don't think you also get a whole new chapter. Like you get a new chapter, you're going to get the cover of the epic. And there are old stars like George Maharis was this old actor. He was busted in a bathroom more than once. He never came out. Come out before you die, George. Richard Chamberlain came out, Joel Gray. Barry Manilow very quietly. But you can do it. Do it before you die. I would agree. And like you look at like Little Nas X, like there's there's people in, I mean, I just, you know, in the hip hop community that are out and they're doing just fine. Little Nas X is, is just a wonder. He's such a gem. He and is. We, you know, we had people back in the 70s. We had Sylvester. We had Elton John. Bowie. We did have people on the edge who are pushing things forward and they had hit records and Lil Nas now many years later has taken it to a whole new realm yeah I think he's a great role model and it's good music and he hasn't lost any money as far as I can tell no he's doing quite well do you think like to that point like you know you said like Missy would get a second act Lil Nas X is doing well do you think you know how does it affect like straights? Like for instance, like Lucas Gage, who's in Euphoria, he has all these like, you know, 
gay sex scenes and he's done other things like he really remains sexually ambiguous like say he's straight he won't say whether he's gay like there is this straight man i know this is this isn't the plight of like let's feel sorry for the straight white man but there is this like argument you know amongst certain actors of like well you know if i identify as straight like it might hurt me like i mean do we believe you know from all these roles that i'm playing do we do we do we buy into that that's quite a reversal. That's like the ending of Planet of the Apes or something. Yeah, I love that. The tables have turned. It'll like if it turns out if it turns out Carson Presley is straight, that's really going to wreck his career. It kind of right. But someone like Harry Styles, I think, like just come out. You're bisexual. Let's face it. You're yeah. flirting around. You're skirting the issue. You're wearing skirts. Say you're bi. Yeah. And no one would care. I doubt we need it would visibility. We need visibility for kids out there. Uh, when I was growing up, we had no open queer visibility. There was Paul Lind or something, but he never said he was gay. He just did innuendo. Uh, and I loved Paul Lind. But yeah, I, I do feel the young queers coming of age now have so much more than my generation to see the, the visibility, so much more inspiration. But along with that has come the backlash. And it's horrifying to see what they're cooking up out there to demonize and take away queer rights. So part of me is jealous of a young queer who's got open celebrities, has got gay television, everything that I didn't have. But you've also got this machine working to deprive you of your rights. It's like, well, how many kids were shot in Texas? But what's the problem? Drag queens doing readings. That's yeah. the big problem. Yeah, forget, forget gun control. Drag queens doing readings is the problem. It's it's, it's we're, we're always a distraction. We're a punchline. We're a punching bag. I'm so sick of it. And don't even tell me about the Bible because you, these people never read the Bible. They can only quote the one thing about man should not lay down with man. They can't quote one other word from it. Right. What about like when you hear all these rumors? I mean, I'm dating myself now and I'm sure there's different ones about different people. You hear this like folklore about like Richard Gere likes to stick a gerbil up his ass. Tom, Tom Cruise marries Katie Holmes as a beard. John Travolta. Like, is there, where do these things come from when all these people- urban legends. Some of them do have an element of truth to them. The Richard Gere thing, I don't believe it because even friends of mine were bullshitting and said, oh, I know the nurse who has the x-rays. It's like, what x-rays? What I didn't care for about Richard Gere back then is when there were gay rumors about him, he and Cindy Crawford took out an ad in a magazine. Because also Cindy Crawford had been on the cover of Vanity Fair with Katie Lang, lesbian sheep, even though Cindy Crawford is not a lesbian. So then everyone's like, oh, Richard Gere and Cindy are gay. They took out an ad in a magazine saying, we're not gay. And I was like, oh, that's gross. Like, you didn't have to do that. It's not, it's not a smear to be called gay. And that doesn't age well. I mean, imagine them doing that today. It would never happen. Never, never. You would just like take out the gerbil and carry on. What things do you think have an element of truth in, like Tom Cruise? <laughs> I don't know if people want him to be gay, but it's like Cher says she dated him. Then again, she dated David Geffen too. She really did. She did. 
Talk to me about, is this true that yours, this just, you know, being from New York, you know, Madonna was on the scene back in the day. I just had my good friend, Isaac Mizrahi back here. And he said, you know, I love doing your podcast. And he was being sarcastic, snarky, like only Isaac or you or others could. He's like, you know, somehow you always bring up Madonna when I'm here. But since this is your first time here, is this true that your band was opening for Madonna and she wouldn't let you guys do sound check? It wasn't even opening. We were equal build in the app. We were equal. We went on first. But yeah, she sound checked. I've told this story on so many shows. She was such a perfectionist, sound checking from the, the mic from every angle. I'd never seen anything like this. It was like obsessive. That by time she was through, they had to open the door to the club. We didn't get to sound check. And I was like, this bitch is going nowhere. And I still say I was right. No, I'm kidding. I, yeah, I, I was pissed, but it, maybe it's that kind of tunnel vision that allowed her to become so big. She just had to make it big. No one else was in the room when she was testing that mic. And I gave her all the props for what she did for our community and how she conquered really the three minute music video, which was at the time a new uh, art form. Well, I know, yes, you infamously said this bitch is going nowhere. And you said, is this true? People still, when they see you, will like just scream in your face and say you were wrong about Madonna. Uh, one guy was driving past me and just screamed out, she made it. <laughs> I knew exactly what he meant to. He meant Madonna. Yeah, she did make it. I, I would say so. Are never, you are, are you shocked? Like, you know, with that, or just, you know, are you shocked that Madonna is Madonna that just... Yeah, because I hated that song, Everybody, and that was her first big song, and I was like, she's got to go away, combined with that whole sound check thing. And then I started loving the songs when she did Borderline, and then just more, 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 bigger, 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 and she won't stop. No matter how many Golden Razzies, she'll make more movies. And maybe there's something admirable about that. I don't know if it's tone deaf or just determined. Are you, like, what do you think about, like, modern-day Madonna? You know, some people say, like, girl, you've lost your shit on your Instagram. It makes no sense. You look at, like, Cher and, you know, Diana Ross and Tina Turner and these other, you know, older legends that are have come into the fact that they're legends and you're trying to act like your Lourdes's age or younger. Or is Madonna really just smarter than all of us? And is, I mean, just talk about age discrimination and just, you know, misogyny but or is it just madonna smarter than all of us and she's on to something with her instagram behavior well i think what she's doing is making it okay for women of a certain age to look ridiculous no i'm kidding uh, she just, she's changing the game for better or worse i'm not sure if it's really working i what i see what i like about icons like Cher is that she has a sense of humor about herself Yes, she sucked out her ribs and she did all this stuff, but she'll laugh about it and she'll make her life an open book. Madonna should be more like a Mae West where it's kind of a gag. It's kind of a satirical thing. Then again, why should she listen to me? I, we were equal build and now I'm some hack. Has been and she's still a superstar. Well, you're far from a has been. Do you think, do you think Madonna just has like no sense of humor? Not about herself. You know, when, during COVID lockdown, she was kind of laying with rose petals in a tub and saying, we're all in this together. As I was eating uh, Alpo out of a jar. 
Right. As she relocated everyone to Portugal, or I think it was right before that, but it was, yes. I, what's like one of the rudest interactions you've ever had with a celebrity? Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I didn't realize Christopher Plummer does, doesn't like the sound of music. It's like my favorite movie. So he just froze me out. Uh, Patrick Stewart didn't like a question. I asked, uh, yeah, I, I, Sinead O'Connor, I think she's back with the documentary. I, she didn't like a question. I, a lot of times I push a button that might not be too delightful for the celebrity. I'm trying to rile them up and get them to say something that's not boring. That's not just tell me about your new movie. Was it a labor of love? That's boring. So if I say something a little offbeat, one thing about Sarah Jessica, I was on the phone interviewing with, interviewing her once, and we were talking about the Sex and City, one of the movies. And I said, uh, so Jennifer Hudson is in it. Does she play an uppity character? And she goes, Michael. And I realized, oh, that is racist to say an uppity black woman. She was right. She was right to call me on it. And celebrities don't call press on things too, too often because they're, they're, they're more vocal now. One thing I don't like now is like Olivia Wilde just blaming the media. You know, I won't give credit to these rumors. It's like, it's not a rumor. Florence is standing right next to you. Why don't you ask her about it? She's mad at you. Right. So Sarah <laughs> Jessica called you out. So that's, that's good. Yeah, it was just an impulse. Oh, Michael. Like, in other words, what a gross thing to say. And she was totally right. I was like, how gross was that for me to say that? I was mortified. You can still learn at a late age of life. That's the great thing. You can still learn to be a better person. I thought you were going to say you said something about like the Sex and the City movies, maybe not being the best <laughs> movies. That I thought that was too obvious. But one thing I did when I, before I got banned on Twitter, I don't like when people would come after me as a mob without explaining what is it that I said or wrote that you don't like and why. Instead, it would just be delete your account, delete your account. <laughs> like, as an activist with ACT UP, we learn to narrow our message and make it very specific and very clear. I, I could be mad. Don't just be mad. What are you mad about? Right. And what do you want to do to rectify that? Were you a fan of Sex and the City, that whole era? I don't, I never had HBO. I, <laughs> people were like, how can you, how can you not have Sex and the City? How can you not watch Sopranos? It's like, well, I'm still alive. I did go see the two movies. You still the second, in, one, the second one was vile. The first one I thought was okay. You still are interviewing SJP, so there you go. Oh well, she's a great celebrity. What has anyone ever shocked you? The opposite of rude, just where like you know you didn't really want to meet them. You figured you had some stereotype, and they just turned out to be like one of the nicest humans you've ever met. Um, I always could not stand Kathy Lee Gifford, <laughs> but we found ourselves sitting at a table at something, and I actually enjoyed talking to her because she likes musical theater. Uh, she almost seemed to me like a gay man in a woman's body. And I was like, okay, I like this Kathy Lee. I don't like the sanctimonious Kathy, Kathy Lee. I could see that. Is there anyone that you're dying to interview that you haven't? I mean, you've interviewed so many people throughout your career. I've always been in a room with Meryl Streep. I've been to all the awards where she's gotten an honor and I never had the nerve 
to say anything to her. Because what are you going to say? I like your work. Gee, she's never heard that before. You were great at Sophie's Choice. Oh, that's such a fresh thing to say. So I've kept my distance, though my friends in journalism say every time they've talked to her, she's extraordinary. She's so witty and articulate. Julianne Moore is someone who's always super nice. She'll just stop on the street and talk for 20 minutes. And uh, Patricia Clarkson, there are certain New York celebrities like that that I love uh, running into. The downtowners. Mario yeah. Mario Cantone, uh, you know. Meryl Streep would be a great one. Well, you have to have something like a sugar plum that's not reachable. You have to, I can't have met everyone. I mean, I met Mary Tyler Moore, who was like such an idol, Carol Burnett, Oprah, Andy Warhol, people that were truly iconic to me. What is meeting Oprah like and where does that happen? Well, I went out with a bunch of celebutants, which was the, the grown-up club kids, to Chicago when she was local. And we did her show twice, once she had a substitute host. And she didn't believe in coming backstage and greeting the guests before the show. I don't know why. I guess she wanted to just, boom, we're on, we're on the air. I thought that was weird. But she kept talking about, why are you dressed that way? And she was wearing like an applique blouse. I was like, why are you dressed that way? Exactly. <laughs> You're like... We had a good time. And, and it was so big that everyone in Chicago saw that show at the time. This is before she went national. Wow. What do you think of, I mean, I take it, I don't want to make any assumptions or stereotypes, but I take it like you don't really sit around and watch hours of reality TV, Housewives, Kardashians. What I do you think of all yeah, this? The fact that people buy into that. Let's say there are two real housewives having a, a fight over dinner in a restaurant. Doesn't the audience realize the restaurant had to have been booked by the camera crew, right? The, they had, the producers had to send out, sent out call sheets, be at the restaurant at nine o'clock in the morning for makeup. It's a setup. The camera didn't just come in and swoop in on this conversation. So to me, that makes it phony. Well, you're right. I've cameoed on reality shows. Some of them try to just tell you what to say. Some of them let you just be yourself and do you know whatever you want. So there is some reality to a lot of them, but why would I buy into that bullshit and waste my time? And this whole thing of binge watching, I would rather watch a movie any day than binge watch anything on TV. Even though I know that TV now is, higher, is now higher quality than movies. I'm well aware of that. <laughs> I just feel like nothing's gonna recapture Mary Tyler Moore, Bewitched and Lost in Space. Yes and yes. And it is all fake. And I don't know why, you know, like when you're calling someone, everyone answers on their speakerphone, they happen to just pick up. I mean, this isn't, when's yeah. the last time you pick yeah. up every phone call that comes in and when you, you know, know you're on camera, you know, right. you're on camera. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> what do you think of like, you know, Pose, you know, like Ryan Murphy, the, what do you think of all this? Like where's TV and entertainment today? It's great. Something like Pose is fabulous because those people didn't have a spotlight in the mainstream. They had Paris is Burning, which was a brilliant documentary. Uh, but now, unfortunately, some of them are not with us anymore, but they have their tribute. Pose is a tribute to them, to the sisterhood, to the family, to the fact that these disenfranchised people came together and did this kind of ritualized flaunting on a runway and uh, backed each other with a, 
their different houses and their, their house mothers. Yeah, I think Brian Murphy's pretty cool. I think Andy Cohen's pretty cool. We have a lot of gay uh, power brokers that are running TV right now. It's pretty exciting. What about, you know, a lot of people have said, I mean, I don't, I don't know if this originated with Anderson Cooper. Someone originated the fact, you know, they say Andy Cohen is like the modern day Andy Warhol and that has taken <laughs> legs. Well, how, how, what do you feel about that statement, knowing both of these two people? I sort of think Andy Warhol would have loved reality shows and would have been, would have been doing one. And he would have loved TikTok, would have been doing videos. So I could sort of see that. And Andy, Again, Andy would have liked it. That's my, my mantra, Andy would have liked it. He probably would have loved Andy Cohn, right? I think so. He would have loved, he would have been doing portraits of Countess Luann and all those people, absolutely. I kind of think so. And been hanging out with him and wanted guest appearances on The Real Housewives of New York and- Absolutely. And, and Kardashians. What about, you know, we have like, Dumois has like such a career now, you know, the blind item, like you really kind of originated the blind item also. Yeah, it's really a way to put information out there that is so risque or so outrageous that you can't use names, you will get sued. Uh, but you can kind of finagle it so that you put in some hints and people can guess. And it was my most popular type of column because people love the interactive element of it and they would beg me for the answers. I would just say they're all Courtney Love. All the answers are Courtney Love. Always Courtney Love. I mean, you know, and to me, you really like the whole like Michael Alleg thing. I mean, that was picked up in page six. Like that to me, really, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but from where I, what I remember, that really was because of you in the, knowing these club kids and being in that scene and doing this blind item. Oh, thanks. Yeah, well. Uh, Michael had called me. He was a mess and he had been fired from Limelight and he just sounded so out of it. And I asked around and when I wrote that up, I mentioned that there was a missing person on the scene. Uh, then two weeks later, I did the blind item where I talked about the Drano and the body in the, in the Hudson River and all that stuff. Uh, and New York Magazine had done a, a, an item. So page six put all that together and made it their lead item. And that really is what catapulted the story. Um, my lawyer was very nervous, like, don't, you know, we have to make it blind. But people knew based on the context of the previous write-ups and the buzz, page six didn't even ask me, do you mean Michael Alec? They knew who I meant. So um, it was a dark, dark, horrifying story. And it was not just an end to a life. Uh, it really pretty much killed nightlife for quite, a, for quite some time. It was very uncool to be a club kid after that did you have any thoughts on like when he got out of jail and then his passing or nothing no emotions regarding that mixed feelings because i can't deny that i was part of it i had my name on the invitations but i was always his harshest critic so i kind of had a double edge uh i would celebrate what was good about it i would go on the talk shows but i would also point out that michael alec was kind of spiraling he started out as a fun rebel who just wanted to shake things up and through the years, as there were fewer boundaries, he started really going down and losing any sense of morality that he might have even, might have even had in the first place. Uh, but when he was coming out of prison, he actually had a publicist contact me and say, like, do you want to do an interview with him? And I thought, oh, no, it's the same old Michael. 
So I didn't do it. And then Michael was hitting me up to get together with him. And at that point I had moved my mother into my apartment and I was focusing on that. And I, I had such mixed feelings that I didn't necessarily want to get together with Michael. Uh, and then I ran into him on a movie, an independent movie set. And he was the same old person. He was flying on drugs. He was talking about his publicity. Uh, he was changing the facts of what happened. And I was like, creepy. But we ended up doing a scene together uh, for another indie movie. And the director said I calmed him down, that I sort of mentored him. Our, our own banter, sort of our, own our old chemistry came back during that experience. And then I got back on drugs and... Wow. Right, I mean, you would think, like, we've all evolved. I mean, I'm certainly not the same person I was even last year at this time, but that's... Well, speaking of you being on the independent movie set, you've been in more documentaries and movies and, you know, giving sound bites. You know, everyone wants to talk to you when there's, like, a lot of, because of the VH1 stuff, probably too. But I mean, does that ever get old? You know, I mean, I imagine you record hours and hours and hours, and then we all know how, at least I know how a soundbite works. And there you are with 30 seconds and you're like, but I said so much interesting stuff. It does. It really gets old. Um, yeah. I mean, first of all, they come to me because I've seen everything starting in the seventies, disco and, you know, the eighties, the activism, the downtown boom. Giuliani as mayor in the 90s and on and on and on all the protests all the celebrations everything and I was pretty sober so I remember everything and I have a, a take on everything but it's real frustrating when I there's something called gossip with Cindy Adams for Showtime where I gave them a long interview and this was during COVID lockdown I thought it was I was though they went with all the precautions but I still felt I'm sort of risking my life just to do this that's how much of a press whore I am and from what I heard, because I couldn't bear to watch it, they used three sound bites of mine, and they were all sound bites I could have said in my sleep. Nothing of the stories I told about Cindy and my relationship with her and our interactions and yada da da da. And you start to wonder, is it really worth it? Last year, I was also in uh, something about Janet Jackson. I was in something about Kids in the Hall. Now I want to focus on a documentary about myself, and that's what I'm working on. I was going to say, A, I would ask that same question. Is it really worth it? I saw you in the Janet Jackson thing. I mean, we all know the <laughs> Janet Jackson. How long was I on? Like five seconds? I couldn't bear to watch it. Five seconds? Not very long. Not even that. five seconds. Okay. I figured you were going to have a big part in this. And I'm like. I gave them a long interview. Wow. How I mean, is. I you have to piece it together and edit. I, I get that. But I feel they over filmed. They want to have backup, so they're going to use you for now, or then they're not going to really use it. Yeah. How is your documentary going that you're working on about yourself? <laughs> uh, we're pitching it. We're pitching it, and um, I, I think it's going to be good. That's going to be great. And then are you going to continue doing all the talking head stuff on the side? I'm going to minimize that. I really can't stand doing that anymore. I was recently asked to go on CNN and talk about different gossip topics. And I enjoy that because everything you say gets on, you're on live. But these pre-taped things are just beyond tedious. It's, it, they don't pay. If they paid, I would just sit there for hours because it would be professional. <laughs> they don't pay. They do not pay. That no, is correct. They don't. They don't. 
anything in pop culture today like shock you you know like this new thing that just came out i think like recently like this woman you know from tiktok she's saying she had an affair with adam levine from maroon five i mean everyone speaks out now like i don't know do you ever give credence to things like that you know is it all just like god everyone's just a fame whore looking for their 15 minutes do you believe in like stuff like that when someone who's like not necessarily a celebrity has some story about some huge celebrity well apparently adam levine wanted to name he and his wife's baby after the stripper so i said well now he has a son named bambi um in any case i what i'm amazed by from all this tiktok and everything stuff is there are so many incredibly gorgeous guys out there. I had no idea where have they been my whole life. And there are talented people out there. If people were horrible and embarrassing and cheesy, I would say, oh, this is horrible, make it stop. But there are people dancing up a storm, lip syncing, doing all kinds of things. There's a lot of talent. And I, I, I realized when I, I go on uh, IMDb now to read uh, movie reviews, I don't click on the critics reviews. I, cr- I click on the viewers, the, in other words, the people that subscribe to IMDb that just watch movies. Because it turns out every day people, quote unquote, are brilliant. These, even on the Broadway boards, who are these people? A lot of them have incredible opinions, well-written, well-structured, and very articulate. So I totally bow down. It's like, you know, it's not just about being a professional writer or whatever that means. There's a lot of talent out there and a lot of gorgeous guys. There are so many gorgeous guys. Like when I'm on like Instagram and like you get the reels, you're like, okay, I'm going to click on this. Then I always go to the person's followers. Cause like, you're not really doing anything. I mean, you're just gorgeous. You're showing yourself running every day or whatever. I'm like, how the hell do you have like 7,000? I'm not saying it's like 7 million, but considering there's almost no content here, man, like if you're just gorgeous, you can have like thousands of followers and literally post the same thing every day. So I, I agree with that. I've, recently it's when I tie it to the amount of followers the person has I'm always amazed at just how many it is it's just a matter of monetizing it what do you do with those seven million followers can you make money out of it right if you can more power to you why not I mean things have changed media changes all the time media changes all the time before we wrap up anything else you want to cover I mean like I have followed your career since the beginning I mean Thank you for doing this. I've been a huge fan. I am a huge fan. I cannot wait for your documentary to take you weren't, alive. You weren't alive during the beginning. I wasn't. I, the beginning, <laughs> I may not remember exactly, but. I'm going through my archives now for this documentary and I'm finding so many rejection letters that I kept. And so my message to everyone is just push yourself. But if you believe in yourself and your talent, push yourself because some of the rejection letters I got were from the Village Voice, Vanity Fair, and New York Times, and I ended up writing for all of them. And also my other message to people, now I'm turning into Marianne Williamson or something, is just never think your life is over. As long as you can draw breath, you have possibility, you have opportunity, and there are gonna be new chapters. You hear that, Missy? Maybe one day Missy will be out amongst us. I'm sure she'll give me the exclusive. (laughs) You'll have to come back on because, you know, when your documentary and just, I could talk to you about current topics all day and, you know, more about your career. So I really appreciate you taking the hour to do this. Thanks for having me. I'm so flattered. Thank you.
Anytime. Thank you. And um, there'll be no editing in this. So you don't have to worry about being edited down to just like a three second sound bite. This time I want editing. <laughs> right. You're it. like, please take that out, David. But thank you so much and keep in touch. Thanks, David. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind The Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me, and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.